Our first song today is by Shelley Jackson Denham, a composer and songwriter who unfortunately left the planet in 2013. Many of her songs are in our hymnals though, and the melody and lyrics of this one invite us to embrace the wintertime. I invite you to join me and your choir in singing Dark of Winter. sharing a reading from Barbara Brown Taylor. It's from her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. She writes, I have been given the gift of lunar spirituality in which the divine light available to me waxes and wanes with the season. When I go out on my porch at night, the moon never looks the same way twice. Some nights, it is as round and bright as a headlight. Other nights, it is thinner than the sickle hanging in my garage. Some nights, it is high in the sky, and other nights, low over the mountains. Some nights, it is altogether gone, leaving a vast web of stars that are brighter in its absence. All in all, the moon is a truer mirror of my, for my soul than the sun that looks the same way every day. 
after I stopped thinking that all these fluctuations meant something was wrong with me, a great curiosity opened up. What would my life look like if I trusted this rhythm instead of opposing it? What was I afraid of exactly? And how much was I missing by racing reflexively for the lights? How much more was in store for me if I could learn to walk in the dark? Tomorrow is the shortest day of the year, eight hours, 26 minutes and 19 seconds long. It will be three seconds shorter than today. And this means tonight will be one of the longest nights of the year. That's quite a shock to the system coming from Arizona like I do because the longest night there is only 14 hours. And when the sun comes up, it's brilliant. There are seldom dark or cloudy days like the Northwest offers, and the clouds and rain here make it feel much darker in general. In addition, this has felt like a long, dark year. The increased policing and racial tension, the very stressful elections, and the pandemic crisis have compounded the sensation of doom and depression and darkness falling on all of us. There's a natural, almost instinctive reaction to this. We start to turn on our house lights earlier. We talk of the glow of candlelight lighting our way. And we start singing about moving into lighter, brighter times. We try to cheer each other up by talking about how there's better times ahead. We are not comfortable with the dark. Night and dark similes are similes for evil in our culture, and we hardly ever associate lightness or sunshine with evil. We have lit up our world with streetlights and the false belief that that will make us safer, and our homes are no longer dark at night. I know as I walk around my house from room to room at night, all the rooms glow with appliance lights. My electric toothbrush illuminates the bathroom. My kitchen has a red glow from the oven, green from the microwave clock, and a white light from my coffee maker. And my computer light, my Kindle, and my phone, they flash on and off, reassuring me that they're recharging. We've lit up our world so much that astronauts can identify Paris and New York City from out in space. And astronomers on Earth can no longer see into space due to all the ambient light. And that's just the physical darkness. We also have a discomfort with psychological darkness. I'm talking about where our mind and our spirits go at 3 a.m. when we wake up in those early morning hours. These nighttime awakenings are often the times we do our soul searching, we explore our worries, we play old conversations, and wonder, wonder about what we're doing with our life. I'm also talking about our discomfort with each other's dark times. It's hard to listen to someone share their depression, their sadness, sorrow, fears. And so into this dark darkness, this discomfort, we offer platitudes. We say things like, it will get better. It's always lightest before the dawn. Or look on the bright side. And I'm also talking about our discomfort and avoidance of our own darker emotions. We don't like these times in our life. 
and we're given subtle messages from our family and friends that we need to handle these better, experience them less. We talk about them in hushed voices or private conversations or not at all. We may need to justify our sadness or depression, proving we are not that proving that we are allowed to actually experience them. And if we have a legitimate cause, we should move on sooner rather than later. Barbara Brown Taylor is a former Episcopalian priest and a professor of religious studies down in Atlanta, Georgia. She spent time exploring darkness and writes about this in her book titled Learning to Walk in the Dark. As she delved into her research, she immersed herself in ways darkness might be experienced. In wild caves, unopened to the public, she experienced being in absolute darkness, deep in the earth where there was no sound to be heard. As she sat there without any visual disturbances, she heard a humming, much like an overhead high voltage electric wire makes. And gradually she realized it was coming from her own body. She could hear the sound of her nervous system. She found that if we rely less on light, less on visual acuity, we can heighten the experience of our other senses. She also attended an art exhibit Recited people were guided through a completely dark exhibition hall by blind guides. And she went to a restaurant where there is no light and service is by blinded waitstaff. She learned how much we rely on vision to know our world. In fact, 70% of our sensory receptors are located in our eyes, taking over most of the duties of our other senses. So relying on light, on vision, we don't have to be in close proximity to something to, to sense it. We can see the glow of a town miles and miles away. And even a campfire at night can be seen from many miles in the distance. Vision requires little intimacy. Sound doesn't require as, as, as much intimacy either. But it's a little more than vision. But smell requires some closeness. You need to be in the same building, perhaps even the same room. Touch requires you to be within arm distance of what you're touching. And taste is the most intimate of your senses. To take away vision, to be in the dark, requires more proximity to others and it requires us to use our other senses, to use other ways of knowing our world. It requires presence and attention. And Barbara Brown Taylor writes, it makes me wonder how seeing has made me blind by fooling me into thinking I have a clear view of how things really are, of where the road leads, of who can see rightly and who cannot. There is a light that shines in the darkness, which is only visible there. There are skills to be learned from the dark. There comes a deeper awareness of our own body and a way of being present, attuned. This isn't a lesson for only for our literal dark, but for our spiritual dark experiences. 
they also offer the same opportunity for altered understanding and presence. Another thought about darkness is this. At the end of each day, as the sun disappears, there's a natural quieting down, a slowing down. Doors close, TVs are turned off, and the distractions of the daytime come to an end. Night flows in. This is as much a part of creation as daylight. To be human is to live by sunlight and moonlight, with anxiety and delight, admitting limits and transcending them, falling down and rising up. To want a life with only half these things is to want half a life. The psychological darkness of our lives is as valuable to our wholeness as the brighter times. I'm not saying this is a platitude. I am not trying to make lemonade out of lemons. I'm saying that we need to be open to the darkness as a natural, inevitable flow. And when we demonize it or run in fear, we may be avoiding the full experience of our lives because it is the dark night time of our lives when we are most likely to explore ourselves and listen, listen to that inner voice. So here's another thought about darkness. During life, we experience an array of emotions. emotions. Some of these are happy and comfortable, and some of these are dark emotions that are often silenced or shut away. Grief, fear, and despair have a bad reputation. And there is pressure on each of us to control these. In fact, in medical care, the diagnostic, diagnostic criteria for the grief process allows a person two months after the death of a loved one to experience sadness, insomnia, or loss of appetite. And after that, it may be diagnosed as abnormal and as requiring, requiring medical treatment. So we might ask, who decides the acceptable normal time frame for grief and loss? The psychotherapist Miriam Greenspan says that it isn't these emotions that are the problem. It's our inability to bear them. There aren't dark emotions, just unskilled ways of coping with them. Most of us don't know how to live with our psychological distresses and our inner darkness. We have been taught to avoid them and to suppress them. Many of us are not even aware of our emotions, at least if you're anything like me, you're not aware of them. Over my life, I have skillfully learned to experience only the acceptable feelings, afraid of what might happen if I give in to exploring some of the harder emotions. I am so skilled at this that much of the time I feel flattened out. I can't identify a wide array of feelings and seem limited to four or five. Anger is easy. Depression's up there, peace sometimes. At one point during seminary, I actually printed out a chart of all the possible emotions as a way to deepen my repertoire of what I could experience because I realized the limited emotions I could identify felt stifling and tedious. We have learned to avoid the painful emotions and as a result, may have lulled ourselves into complacency. 
Greenspan says that painful emotions are like the Zen teacher who whacks his students with a flatboard right between the shoulder blades when he sees them going to sleep during meditation. If we can learn to tolerate the whack, to let it wake us up, we may discover the power hidden in the heart of pain. We have an aversion to darkness, and yet over and over throughout the centuries, our religious leaders remind us that it is the dark times we need to move into if we want to know ourselves, to know our souls. Buddha meditated in the darkness of caves. Muhammad was visit, visited by God only in the dark cave he used to go to pray in. Jesus was both born in a cave and buried in a cave. We are formed in the darkness of the womb where all new life begins. We are created in the dark. Tonight is the longest night of the year. This has been the longest year of darkness many of us have lived through. But let's not just wait for light to return. Let's not ignore where we are. Let's experience this, live into this, deepen our engagement with all that is offered to us. I want to close with one last reading from Barbara Brown Taylor who says, darkness is a shorthand for anything that scares me, either because I am sure that I do not have the resources to survive it or because I do not want to find out. If I had my way, I would eliminate everything from chronic back pain to the fear of the devil from my life and the lives of all those I love. At least I think I would. The problem is this, when despite all my best efforts, the lights have gone off in my life, plunging me into the kind of darkness that turns my knees to water, I have not died. The monsters have not dragged me out of bed and taken me back to their lair. Instead, I have learned things in the dark that I could have never have learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again so that there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. Blessed be. Our closing song is also by Shelley Jackson Denham. And I invite you to join me in singing When I Am Frightened. 